Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. On today's episode, we have Kavita Baratik. She is such a powerhouse apartment building investor, right, Andressa? Yes, on top of being a mom, single salary, I'm telling you, she's yeah. really a powerhouse. Yeah, originally from India, she came here uh, and now she's based in Austin, Texas, doing some amazing things around, you know, investments and really just, uh, we had such an amazing conversation with her on a lot of levels. What, what I think you'll really appreciate most, you know, the women listening here, she transitioned from being a passive investor to being a general partner. And I think that's a, a goal for many women. You know, how do I make that transition? One's passive, obviously not doing anything. And the next one is more active. And there's a lot that goes into being an effective mm. general partner in these, in these syndications. So it was a phenomenal interview. She also talks about opportunity zones. And many of us, this is a brand new subject for a couple of you. This is already going on for a little while. And she breaks down how this process works and how can it be also a possibility for you to invest. One thing that she always talks, uh, she talks about is her mindset. Believe me, she worked a full-time job with a kid and was able to build her empire. And I'm talking about like three digits or more. And it's such, in such a, a, a kind way that it's really inspired. It really inspired me. Did it inspire you, Liz? Absolutely. We really hope you enjoy the episode and get some nuggets to apply to your business. Yes. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andresta. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where we are up to empowering, inspiring, and supporting women investors in this, this amazing world of real estate investing, which is super cool. We're super blessed to be on this journey with all of you. And Andressa, how are you? I'm doing well with yourself. Awesome. Awesome. We have Kavita on our show. She's from Austin, Texas. She's a powerhouse lady doing some amazing, amazing things. We're going to get to her story in a moment, but welcome Kavita. We're so excited to have you on our show this day. Thank you, Liz and Andresa. I'm super excited to be on and I've been watching you guys uh, run your Facebook group and connecting with you and seeing all the amazing things you guys are doing. So I'm excited to be on. Yeah, we're, we're, we appreciate that. Uh, and as we always like to do, we'd like to um, thank everyone for listening. You have limited time. It's the, one of those limited resources is time. Uh, I always like to say money is unlimited, really, when we think about it. It's an unlimited source, but time is not. And so you can spend your time in a lot of ways with all the millions of podcasts. So thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and being with us. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, but Anjessa, what's up with you this week? What is happening as, before we get into Kavita's story? Well... I want to share something with you guys. So this past weekend on Saturday, Sunday, and um, Tuesday night, I, I went through a uh, communication course at Landmark called The Power to Create. So it's very intense. So I'm still like digesting everything. And I really wanted to share with you what I got from, from a couple of new tools to my toolbox in terms of communication. So the main thing that I got is that the quality of my life is a result of the quality of my communication. 
and I'm gonna use a very clear example. Liz, do you remember the deal with certain partner that is still lingering for a long time that yes. I can't resolve? Mm -hmm. Well, so I have good news for you. That is all said and done. Oh, good. <laughs> awesome. Why don't you share really briefly? So this is okay. a deal that a partnership in a property that it took a long time to get it resolved. You got sold. I didn't get the profits, had to get attorneys involved. Anyway, the partnership went south and the communication was completely off, meaning the attorneys took over and I was off. And in, back in June, I did take a, a different communication course called Access to Power. And in one of the exercises, um, his name came to my list and I need to get everybody off of my list by communicating with that person. And I was like, there's no way in hell I'm going to talk to this person, <laughs> but I committed to do the exercise. So guess what? I talked to the person and I think I, I shared with you Liz that I met him. Yeah. I met him in person and really restored that communication with him. And um, two days ago, everything was finalized and the page was turned. And I really got, it really is though, because it's been dragging for a couple of years and it really, and it's all complete. And, you know, I don't carry that, you know, sensation that I was carrying for a long time with him, but it's all through communication it was, I was able to recreate that with him what with did you the do? tools. Like, not to interview you because we're not interviewing you today, but, sure. but what did you do specifically? Because I think all of us get into that situation. Yeah. I mean, no, none yeah. of us are, are immune from what you went through. Mm -hmm. What did you do? Because it didn't just close with, you know, without your strong efforts. So mm -hmm. what was that way of being that you have with him when you reached back out after you sure. had some additional tools? Sure. Way of being, what did you say? How did you say it? Well, I'll focus on two things. The first one is me taking responsibility for what I did, what I didn't do, for what I said and what I didn't say. That's the first thing. We're not there to rash things out and just say, oh, remember when this happened? That's not the case. Is to really, I need to get what he's telling me. Mm -hmm. Really understand. Not understand though. Be on his shoes. Really get it. I get what you are telling me. So in summary, it's just the listen. How I listen to people and make sure that they get that I am there present to their communication. And then there's nothing left. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, the per there's nothing to be discussed there. And after it's all complete, it really dissolves. The feeling dissolves. But I need to give up. I had to give up my point of view. I had to give up the possibility that being right at all times, it doesn't really matter. So I need to give up. I needed to give up my point of view. That's and so doesn't, It doesn't happen like like this. I had to do different types of exercises and really get the tools. Yeah. So I have those toolboxes where 
I have, you know, different things there. It's my responsibility to use them or not to use them, but they are available for me. And I'm really grateful for that. Well, I'm really proud of you. And I was along that journey with you. Yes. And, and you kept saying, I kept reaching out, I kept reaching out. And then you came back from this weekend and had some new ways of being and yes. giving up being right and this and that. And he responded like yes. magically. It was like literally magical, right? <laughs> right. So exactly. very cool. We're proud of you. And, and thanks for Thank sharing you. with all the women listening too. We awesome. all can get better with, with a lot of those types of things. So, yeah, so without further ado, Kavita, thanks again for being on our show. Uh, you're, uh, you're based in Austin, Texas. So many wonderful things happening down there. And uh, for, the, for the women listening and, and for, for all the ladies we've interviewed, we always ask the question, what propelled you to get involved in real estate investing? Or what pulled you into all this? And then we have tons and tons of other questions for you, but let's, let's start there. Sure. Um, first of all, Andresa, that's a powerful story. So thank you for sharing that. I thought that was really um, communication so important and be so underplayed. And also uh, what I found more powerful was just being able to give up your point of view. I think that's so, so important and it's so hard to do. So hats off to you. Um, my story, uh, where do I start? Um, I came uh, from India uh, here in 1998. Um, I went to College Station, Texas A&M, and uh, pretty much ended up getting married out of college. Um, had my daughter, went through a divorce, and kind of found myself at the crossroads in about 2008 or so with a very sick child. My daughter had a lot of health issues, and I was a single mom. And um, But it also propelled me to think about, hey, you know, I can't just do a nine-to-five forever. I need to think outside the box. I need to come up with strategies that I can uh, get out of this rat race sooner than later and spend quality time. And I think her whole health issues just woke me up, right? I didn't take anything for granted anymore. Mm. And, um, and I think when, when you're faced with a situation that you can't really fix, uh, there's no shortcuts, you really start thinking about life and, you know, the bigger gift we've been given. So I think uh, for me, that was sort of a wake up call and uh, I changed my whole life and for the better. Uh, so I went on to uh, start investing. I tried stocks and I tried options. Someone got me into options trading. So I was doing that and went really well. But if anyone's traded options, they know it goes really well and then it goes really bad. <laughs> <laughs> So I was I was on a on a cruise and I just lost fifty thousand dollars in the market. Uh, yeah, just like one trade, like that. Yeah, I'm like, like no that. shakes, you know. And then I realized uh, what I think it really brought to the forefront was my relationship with money. Mm. And I, I mean, while we all want money, our relationship with money is really important. That it doesn't affect our whole perspective on things and ruined my vacation. So I was determined to, uh, I think that taught me a lot of lessons about my own relationship with money and where I came from and where I was. So I, uh, to make the long story short, I, I think uh, that kind of helped me to get into investing for, 
in a bigger way than I could see at that time. Uh, of course, I left options behind and then the market was down in 2008, 2009. And I said, hey, this is the best time to get into real estate when nobody wants to get in, right? Um, everything's low. Uh, just bought a house for $98,000 that I made off the stock market or the options, trading options. And I bought my first house for 98000 in Austin, which is pretty unthinkable right now. <laughs> so... Um, I think it was just being at the right place at the right time. Um, and I just started buying, I just bought one house and the guy I went out with, the realtor who was selling me this foreclosure was like, hey, just buy 10 houses on the street. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I, I have a single, I'm a single mom. I have mm. one salary. I'm not going to take on 10 houses. What if it's not rented? You know, you have all these apprehensions about what yeah. landlord means and all that so I just bought, started one and that went really well I had a wonderful tenant and so I bought another one and I slowly figured out ways to uh, refinance you know the BRRR strategy I didn't even know it was called that I just did it <laughs> the burr strategy. strategy I had no idea what that was I was just like okay there's equity in the property prices are going up let me yeah. tap into the equity and refinance and uh, they don't support HELOCs in Texas on rental homes so you have to do a refinance. Mm. So I ended up refinancing, buying another house. And I also have a property in India that I sold and uh, there's really no leverage there. The interest rates are 10%. So I ended up, I, I owned the house outright in India. So I ended up bringing that money back and my parents weren't, my mom especially wasn't too happy about that. She's like, you need a house in India. What if you come back? I'm like, that's probably not going to happen. So. <laughs> But so I'm, anyway. curious, I'm curious, um, Kavita, to really understand, you mentioned your relationship with money and I, 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 I share similar experience and I bet the investors that are listening to us are also going through the same thing. So I'm curious to know, what did you do to really transform your, your perspective, your, your relationship with money? Did you read a book? Did you take a course or it was hard lesson or... Is there anything that you did in particular? Uh, I think I was just more experiential because of the fact that I made so much and lost so much in a short amount of time. And it just kind of teaches you, okay, money is important, but it can determine the person that I am. It can't change my mood. Uh, it can't change my life in any big way. So I almost disassociated with it. I mean, not that it's not important. I know it was important and I grew up not having enough. So I always knew, I, I always told myself I would have enough and more than enough. So that abundance mentality, and I didn't know all these terms back then. I just knew what I felt, mm -hmm. right? It was more a gut thing. It wasn't reading. It wasn't books. I just knew that I would have enough. But what that experience of trading and everything taught me was that sometimes you lose and sometimes you win and you, I think it teaches you, uh, uh, gives you an enormous amount of confidence knowing that you can make it. It's just a resource, right? It's, it's not a big deal. It's a really good perspective. I remember reading something, it wasn't Rich Dad Poor Dad, but it's something that Robert Kiyosaki, uh, King Kim, Kim Kiyosaki said, uh, read, you know, wrote, you know, many moons ago, one of their first books, but it wasn't, the, you know, obviously Rich Dad Poor Dad. He said, if people, if, if someone came and took all of our property, and all of our money, it would be fine. And then I'm like, well, that's interesting. And then I, you know, obviously you keep reading. And basically what he was saying was exactly what you just said, Kavita, about 
it's not so much the money and the process, but if someone literally came and took all of your property, they're not taking all the knowledge and the yeah. process that you went about. Right? I thought that was a really good, wow, perspective versus being so attached to the money or attached to the property or attached to the deal. It's not about that, actually. It's, it's right. who you are becoming as, as, a, as a result. Absolutely. You yeah. Couldn't. You couldn't have put it better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's how it changes you. Your journey changes you. And you get that it doesn't matter whether you have it or you don't have it. You know you can make it. That's mm-hmm. that's all. Yeah, absolutely. So so you're you're investing in single families, you're you're buying you're buying, you're refinancing, you're doing it over again, which is a phenomenal way to get going and not, not to not to get going, but to just keep going in this business. Mm-hmm. It's it's the magic of, as they say, real estate, because you're literally able to own property without having any of your own money in, which is super. And then get get into bigger stuff. I know that you transitioned into multifamily mm-hmm. and you were a passive investor at first and now you're you're a general partner, which we'll, we'll get into that process. So how did that transition for you? Where you're like, okay, how am I going to scale this thing? Which I know a lot of people wrestle with. Was that what right. came up for you? Or what, what, what was it for you to help you transition into larger properties? Exactly what you said, uh, scale. Uh, you get to a certain number. You So I had this number, oh, I'm going to get 10 properties and then get them all paid off and I should be good. But then, you know, suddenly property taxes go up like crazy. I mean, this is Texas. We pay between two and three and a half percent in property taxes. Expenses go up, insurance goes up, and then you realize, oh, this is really not going to scale. And of course, there's all the tenants and I was self-managing all the homes. Uh, So it just gets to a point where I'm like, okay, no, this is not what I imagined it to be. I mean, it's great. It's set me on a good path, but this is not the way to scale. So, and then I met with some of my friends in Austin who were already in multifamily and they introduced me to uh, a meetup in Austin, which is Ken Harris's meetup. And that sort of propelled it to, uh, then I happened to see Brad Sumrock at a Quest IRA event. And one thing led, sort of led to another and it just kind of all fit together. And I got into um, Brad's group. Uh, Brad Sumrock is a mentor out of Dallas. Uh, and then that sort of set me on a path of, okay, I'm just going to do passives because I had a really busy job at the time. Um, and so I didn't really want to commit to getting on the sponsor side or GP side at that time. So I did that for almost three years. And I think I'm in about 2000 plus doors right now, uh, passively. And then I said, okay, that's it. I think I got the hang of it. And I think I understand this business and I feel like I'm ready to take the next step into uh, the GP side of things. And I started that uh, early this year uh, with uh, my first deal in Atlanta. And then I think I'm on my fourth deal this year. So it's it's going really well, Uh, better than I thought it would, honestly. So at some point I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to spend more quality time on this because I feel mm-hmm. like I was juggling a lot of things in the process. You know, my daughter be able moving because of her schools and just a lot of different things going on, the single family, the multifamily. And I was like, okay, I think I need to spend some real focused time on this business and see mm-hmm. how it goes. So I was ready to make that transition. Absolutely. So for the ladies that are listening, um, you mentioned GP, which is general partner dissect that for for them what do you mean by that and what is the difference between what you were doing then and what you're doing now sure 
So a limited partner, an LP, or you also call them passive investors, are basically investing in an apartment, but they're not really doing all the day-to-day stuff. You just put in the money into what we call a syndication, where we get a group of investors together to buy a larger building than you would uh, by yourself. So an LP is a limited partner who puts in money, but not necessarily the time or effort into that. The GP, on the other hand, is on the other side of the business where they go out, acquire apartments, uh, manage apartments, sell the apartment, and do everything to put that syndication together with the LPs in it. So I started on the LP side where I just put the money in. I had my IRA, but I switched employers. So I was using that to invest as well. And then I decided I want to be on the GP side, uh, focusing more on setting up a syndication and actually getting investors into syndications. How about, how did you make that transition? Because I think that's a common, I mean, we, we work with a lot of investors, a lot of passive investors will come to us and say, you know, we want to learn and then we want to be able to do this ourselves. And, you know, we're happy to teach, you know, uh, you know, my husband and I, and, and also, you know, we're happy to see them get into their own deals. That's what most people want to do, or a lot of people. And other people are like, take my money, I'm done. I don't want to get involved in the right. day-to-day. But for the people who want to learn, so for the ladies listening and says, you know what, I really want to get on the, the general partner side at some point. I know I need to learn, clearly. People don't just jump in as a general partner and just, right. you know, wing it. That's not where you wing it. Uh, so what would you say to the women listening that want, they want to go down the path that you went down? passively investing, and then transitioning eventually into maybe becoming more of a general partner. What are the things they need to, is it certain type of syndicators they should work with? Is it certain type of um, things they should be listening for? Should they be proactive and say, hey, GP, uh, I want to have a monthly call with you to, to pick your brain. Like, what would you say to the women listening? How can they set themselves up to make that transition? Because it is a different going from passive to like, if you will, active, which is more of a general partner is an enormous uh, shift. So I'm curious, what did you do to set yourself up? Now, you already had real estate investing experience, which is a leg up, obviously. But you know, what, what, what are some recommendations you can give to the women listening so they can make that transition powerfully? Because it could be a little scary, right? Obviously. Absolutely, absolutely. I'd say uh, figure out what your strengths are, right? I mean, if you've already done real estate, you know what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. You're looking for people that you can partner with that you know that you can contribute and bring something to the table. So I knew that from my perspective, I knew that my strengths were communicating with people. I was I don't know, for whatever reason, I think I had built up a brand without realizing it. I post on social media about the houses that I'm involved in or the apartments I'm doing. So my friends always associated me, friends and people outside, um, you know, in, in social media associated me with real estate. So I realized I had built up a good brand and that I could leverage. And I could say, okay, I, I'm connected to a whole bunch of people who have the capital. What can I do? What, what is the best thing I can do? And honestly, what also helped was some really incredible mentors that I had in my, in my life. And I mean, honestly, it was just accidental how they got into my life too. Uh, I met someone at the Broadcliffe event who was very instrumental in letting me see my own strengths that I couldn't see. So I, I, I mean, I, should, I shouldn't take any credit for it at all. So I didn't know how to go either. I was like wanting to transition. I, ha- I was in a mentorship group, but I didn't know how to make that leap. But I think what really helped was that w- someone saw in me what I couldn't. 
And, um, and I realized after I started doing it that, oh my God, yes, this is, this comes very naturally to me, but I think for our viewers and listeners, it would be good to think about what is it that you can bring to the table? What do you feel really strong about? Like, is it asset management? Is it raising capital? What, what piece of the puzzle can you be a good fit for? Mm -hmm. And just focus on that, you know, try not to do everything because um, you can get into this whole analysis paralysis mode where you're underwriting deals day in and day out, which is, working the numbers, trying to find a deal. Uh, I honestly did about 100, 100 properties underwriting in 2018, but none, <laughs> like zero. <laughs> so it was like, uh, yeah. you know? so I think it's really important that, I mean, not that I love numbers, underwriting is my thing, but I realized that I'm better at something else, you know, and I'm better at, I mean, it's hard to get out there and start buying apartments because people don't take you seriously when you're new, right? So I realized that I could bring money to the table. I could work with sponsors on existing deals. There's so many deals out there and so many sponsors. I mean, that's not to say raising capital is the best thing for everybody. Everybody has their strengths. Mm -hmm. Figure out where you can contribute and make a max, the maximum impact. That's awesome. You mentioned that you surround yourself with mentors, with accountability, and that they saw different things that you didn't see it. And Liz and I, we mentioned this before here, about four or five years ago, I lost count. We, we started a mastermind group where every single month, all ladies from different states, we, we talk at night, intentionally talk at night every single Monday, once a month on a Mondays to really discuss each other's business, to say the least. So we are the sounding board, right? Sometimes I see things on them that they're not seeing and vice versa. And I couldn't emphasize more the power of accountability and really surround yourself with, with folks that will hold you accountable to what you say, but also in a kind way, show you a, a possibility that you're not even looking at, you're not even seeing it. But I'm curious to see, what, what did you do when, uh, for your job? What was your... Uh, I, I'm in IT. I was in IT. You are in IT. So I always tell people, use the skills, right? To be in IT, you got to be sharp, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And transfer those skills. Not necessarily you need to have a construction background. Right. People always tell me, oh, you do you do like um, civil engineers? Like, no, I'm not a civil engineer. My mm -hmm. master's degree is in communication. And they're like, oh my gosh. So did you waste your time? Absolutely mm -hmm. not. So the same, the same for you, you really transfer your skills to real estate and, and then propel that to another, another level. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think it's very true. Like my job actually involved a lot of customer facing activities and I was doing presentations all day long. And for me, that naturally led to, I, I do webinars for my investors now, um, not just on properties, but generally understanding investments and opportunity zones and all of the other um, yeah. 
you know, topics around investing. And so for me, it's been such an easy transition because I'm like, hey, this is what I'm doing with customers in my job. So it was just easy to translate that to investments and yeah. real estate. That's a great, that's a great segue to wanting to dive a little bit into opportunity zones. I know that's a big buzzword or has been a big buzzword, certainly, and still is uh, in terms of investing and finding property in those zones. And just curious to hear your take on it, not so much from a legal perspective. You don't have to give us our, the, the legal ease by any means, because yeah. the ladies listening can just Google it and get that. But I'd love to hear your actual experience. Uh, did, you know, did you find a property first and then find out it was in, in an opportunity zone? Or did you and your team actually seek properties? Or did, were you in a situation where you needed to take funds and, you know, the whole gamut. I know it's a, a lot to those to do that process. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how you, how you use Opportunity Zones in your investing life. Absolutely. So what happened was um, I joined um, not a startup, but a company that went public four years ago. Uh, and I had some stocks that I sold uh, last year. So when I realized I was stuck with a pretty big gain and mm. I'm like, I don't really want to pay, pay like so many dollars in taxes. And that was late last year. Um, and I, I was talking to one of my CPAs in Austin and she didn't really have any constructive suggestions on what I could do to, um, to not pay that ta those taxes on the stock sale, stock sale, she said there was really no way to get out of it. Mm. And um, yeah, and of course she's not my senior anymore <laughs> for a good reason. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> I always tell people there's no way that you are aware of. Yes. Right. And it's uh, it sucks because I'm like, hey, I researched it and I brought it to her, and she mm. still pushed it away. And I'm like, okay, no, I, I need to find someone else. And I do have a new CPA and she's awesome. I love her. Um, but the point was I started researching and it was pretty new. Uh, it really came into existence April, 2018. So it wasn't really that old and very few people had gotten into it at that time. So I was kind of in a time crunch because I had sold in August and I have this, you have this 180 day window to deploy the funds into a opportunity fund. So I didn't really have a whole lot of time because it was already December when I actually found out about opportunity zones. Um, so I was rushing and I knew I didn't have enough time to actually go find a property, buy it. And there's a lot of regulations around how you have to double your cost basis in it. So it's not just buying a property in opportunity zone. It means nothing. Contrary to what people have been peddling, a lot of brokers will say opportunity zone investment. It doesn't mean anything just buying a property. You have to double your cost basis in the property, which is quite substantial because in our traditional BC apartment investing we do, we don't double our cost basis. We just add, like if I buy a million dollar apartment and the land is 250K, and let's say the improvement value is 750K, I don't double my basis in a typical apartment investment. So it's mm. really hard to do with the model that we employ. So I knew that wasn't gonna happen. This had to be a ground up development or it had to be a major rehab, like you take a hotels and convert it into apartments or something. Absolutely. And I wasn't really gonna do it in such a short timeline. So I started looking for opportunities on funds to invest in. 
And that was a, a different beast altogether. And I actually have an article on my blog about how I did the due diligence for the opportunity zone investment that I did, what process I went through. There were like, I don't know, a hundred funds in there, probably more now. And so, you know, you don't know where to start and how to put in your money in a place you feel comfortable because normally when you're a passive, it was easy to find sponsors I connected with directly and knew personally. But here it's not the same, right? You don't know a lot of people who are investing in opportunity zones and actually doing uh, substantial investments. And I also wanted a little bit more diversification in my portfolio. I had a whole checklist of things. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to share the blog and, you know, out to the list with the listeners later. But uh, that's sort of where I started. And it took me almost two months to find an opportunity zone fund that I was comfortable with. And I wanted to know all the ins and outs of the, the, the rules around the fund as well, because I talked to a couple of um, sponsors and uh, investor relation teams that didn't know all the rules. And mm. it was very discouraging because, you know, you, you're going there, putting your money in and you want to make sure it's in the right place. Right. And they know what they're doing with the Opportunity Zone Fund, because there's a lot of regulations around it that they have to comply with. Um, so if they don't do that, then you're you're in trouble. Absolutely. So. So anyway, to know the, the, the funding though, sorry, interrupting you. Did they already have a property in mind or were they pulling the funds and then finding a property? Uh, so no, they have to have a property in mind before they touch your funds. That's one of the things they, they, the, this was a new construction in Arizona. And so they have to, your, they can only take funds and they have to deploy it within 90 days into a property. So there is, again, regulations around how long they can keep the money in the fund mm -hmm. without deploying it. So they don't take the funds. Most people don't take the funds until they're ready to deploy it into a project. You can't just sit on the money. So, yeah, I, there was a specific group that I went with and they had specific, they were, they had a portfolio of properties they were developing, not just one. So that made me feel a little bit more comfortable because now I was getting exposure to different asset classes, uh, a limited service hotel, a multifamily development, and um, uh, there were three or four things in their portfolio. So they, I just, I just felt more comfortable with the location. And there are some opportunity zones, which are really opportunity zones for a good reason, which means it's very low income. It's areas that you probably don't want to put your money because it's just high crime and those kinds of areas. I mean, of course, the idea is that there should be capital infusion into those areas, but not necessarily that all of them are going to good do, give you good returns on your money. So you want to be careful about where your money is going. And there are some opportunity zones on the other extreme, which are really high income areas, which I'm not sure why they're opportunity zones. So. Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so it's, it's good to see where you're putting in your money because, you know, the locations, everything in real estate, as you know. Yeah. It's so That's funny you mentioned that though, because here in Philadelphia, we have the same questions. We're like, why is this location on a, a qualified OZ? We're like, it doesn't make any sense. And why that part is not. I guess they did it, this study and the selections years ago, and here is very rapidly the development and everything that is going on. So really, it doesn't being on a uh, qualified opportunity zone area doesn't mean that it's really bad or or 
A, B, or C, you don't really know. You got to take a, a deeper look at your market, your area to determine that. Right. Absolutely. And your, did you consult with your attorney at all? Was that like a helpful piece of this process? Or was there, a, was there actually an attorney as you're, you know, looking to invest in this particular opportunity zone investment? Was there someone that was a, you know, I don't know, resource or, or did you just kind of have to use your own knowledge? And, and if you wanted to employ someone to make sure that this was, like you said, you talked to some sponsors who didn't know what they were talking about. So how did you navigate that? Did you just move on? From, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if I wasn't happy with what the sponsor knew, and I ended up going with someone who has been pretty much one of the early players in the Opportunity Zone investments, so they knew exactly what they were doing, and they they had a lot of say also in OZ regulations uh, and oh, how great. they were setting up, and they were giving feedback on the regulations. So I felt like they had a pretty good handle on it when that's I invested great. with them. That's great. Now, as you as you and your team look for new properties or like you said, you're more like BC um, and doubling the cost basis. That's a really great perspective. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually realize that, that that's really powerful. So, so you're probably not looking for opportunity zones as absolutely in terms of your, your strategy. Got it. This was more of how to defer the taxes and and not to pay the the gain. Another strategy. Okay. Got it. But I am looking for, uh, I mean, right now I'm looking for developments that I can place my investors, uh, funds. So Mm -hmm. I am looking to partner with people who have opportunities on funds. Mm -hmm. Like I'm talking to a few people who are doing like uh, assisted living developments or affordable housing developments in Austin and outside where my investors coming in have stock sales that they're doing and they want to place their funds in opportunities. So I want to be able to give them options to say, hey, you know, I know these sponsors, I know what they're doing and I feel Mm -hmm. like very comfortable with this. Uh, At that time, I didn't have the time or or, you know, latitude to do that. But now I do. I'm, I've had a lot of time in learning about opportunities. Yeah. You're raising a great point because we often think, well, I don't need to know opportunity zones because I'm not personally or our team is not personally doing that. But you're absolutely right. If you are, if you are working with investors and they have money to deploy and you may not have any projects, that happens to us all the time. Right now, we're kind of managing and building our portfolio and getting everything moving along. We're not actively like, trying to buy a bunch of property right now. And, but we have investors, right? People have money to, to, so that's a really, really great point. When you're working with investors, even one, two, a hundred, however many, they may have money to deploy and they want to save on that, obviously that tax and, and, and defer. It's really helpful to know how you can help them because you're not just, it's not about you and your projects. It's exactly. about them. Absolutely. them and what they need. I think that's a really, really excellent point you're saying. And quite honestly, opportunity zones in the right approach could be very powerful for them. So even if you don't know it, you should be, you're raising it. It's just an excellent point. We all, as investors working with investor, other investors, you need to kind of be aware of all the ways to help them. That's right. a really, really good point. Um, Kavita, so much of our show is about obviously core real estate, like we're talking about, we could probably talk five more hours about what we were just talking about. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but really the mo- another big piece of what we're all about in terms of what we're trying to give the women listening and the women in our community is the idea of financial freedom along with balance and doing it in a mindful way. Because we all know we can work, especially women who are investors and who listen to our show, you know, these are hard workers. We're all hard workers. I mean, I could work 24 hours a day. Well, you know, I don't want to, but I could if I had to or, want, you know, needed to. But we don't want to, right? We have families. We have lives. We want to, we're doing all this so that 
we have balance, right? We can go do what we want to do when we want to do it. So how have you been able to strike that balance? We know you quit your job earlier this, this year. You know, you're a single mom, you have a daughter, you know, you're building a business. What, you know, there's always stuff to do. What do you do that really helps you create that balance? Whatever that balance means to you. I think that's a really good question. Um, it's been about a few months since I went full time. And honestly, initially, I was super excited. And of course, I quit my job and, you know, I got my time. And then I went through a period of, oh, my God, what did I do? You know, did I do the right thing? And, you know, like, <laughs> Uh oh, you know, I, and my also, boss is crazy. I, <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's a it's a process, right? You learn how to manage your time. You learn how to schedule things. Where I found myself working till three a.m. and I'm like, I quit my job, so I didn't have to do that. What am I doing? <laughs> so you really have to tell yourself, okay, I mean, it was great initially because I was, it was flex time for me, right? Like I want to walk my daughter. I walk my dogs every morning, take my daughter to the bus stop. It felt amazing because I had never been able to do that all my wow. life. I was always, always working and calls in the morning and I can't really leave home and she's leaving. So all sorts of things like that. So it, that was great. And I still do it every day. But I think what I've realized is discipline and structure around your own day is very important when you, you know, get outside that nine to five and setting your own time and expectations about, okay, I'm, I'm not going to work beyond this time, setting those deadlines on yourself, because like you said, I can work all the time and I'm used to being busy. So I went from being super, super busy with to a job and real estate to just doing real estate, which keeps me really busy. But I'm also trying to build a business. So I'm doing things at odd times of the day, you know, like, oh, I'm working on my website at two o'clock in the morning. So I have to keep myself do, away from doing that and follow a routine and get into a good mindset every morning. So I told you, I just started doing this um, according to this accountability group to do this miracle morning, it's called savers. So you start with uh, silence, you know, some kind of meditation, affirmations, uh, V is uh, visualizations, uh, E is exercise, R is, what is R? Um, I forget what R is, but the last S is scribing, a reading and scribing. So mm -hmm. I've always been good about reading. That's never been an issue. I've always had like, 10 books next to me. And I'm like, okay, I need to get through it. <laughs> chew it off more than I could bite. I mean, off more than I could chew. So anyway, um, I think it's really important for you to stay on track and keep yourself focused on the end goals, right? On your goals. And it's really hard to do once you lose structure. And that's for me, being disciplined and being consistent are, are challenges for me, to be honest. I work in spurts. I work a lot and then I'm just like, okay, that's it. I'm taking a break. But I have had to learn to manage my time better. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that this is a transition that a lot of people go through, myself including, and uh, being kind to yourself and, and really respect, respecting this transition right? Because you get addicted to having that structure or having the paycheck. It re mm -hmm. really takes time to, to rebuild. You have done a magnificent job 
doing all of building your your business and everything in order to be able to quit your job and everything else so what did you do with in terms of your mindset because i'm t it, it's a lot you're you're a single mom have a full-time job and to build everything that you have built i see you you still have hair in your head <laughs> it didn't fall off right and sometimes that's not even a possibility to a lot of single moms out there too so what what was your secret sauce to get to keep going uh, mindset mindset i think uh, it's all about what you feel like you can achieve and what you think you want to do with your life like i said uh, when my daughter was sick that's kind of completely changed my mindset about what i could do with my life you just feel like i have this one life i need to make it count you know and i have to do things it's not just about the money for me money is great uh, but it's about doing things that are bigger than myself mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what really drives me i like okay. to help people i like to I, i'm especially passionate about helping kids because obviously i've had an experience when my kid wasn't well so i feel like that's really what drives when you set a purpose that is bigger than yourself you know yeah. what you're working towards right and for me that makes all the difference i have my down days i have my days when i'm like I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but it's what you keep in front of you and say, what am I working towards? Where do I want to be? And did you set that purpose when like that first happened with your daughter in, in order to, to develop over time or did it change? Because I think it's, it's a big thing, right? Setting a purpose. It's like, you know, we, you know, we say that or we hear that and it's like, it can feel big to people, I, you know, it's like, wow, that's, I'm just trying to get my kids out to school, keep all the, you know, everything running on time. And, and it's, it's a big thing to, to a lot of us or a lot of folks and a lot of women, especially, especially because they're being pulled in like 19 different directions. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, did you start with one? Did it evolve? Was it I think it process? evolved. Yeah. It was definitely a process. It just didn't show up in front of me, but I yeah. realized over a period of time that, you know, this is what I'm cut out to. I mean, real estate is for me a means towards an end. I love real estate. I mean, I'm passionate about it, but I realized there is a bigger purpose in my life. But I'd say, you know, as long as you have those intermediate goals, and it's not just like one goal, because if you set a goal, you achieve it, you sense, kind of set, feel a sense of, okay, this is great. You might now bask in now it what? for, yes, exactly. You <laughs> might bask in it for a few days and then you're like, what? So what? <laughs> exactly. So I just want to, before I forget, I want to share with you guys, uh, we talked about purpose and um, on Oprah's latest, one of their latest books called The Path Made Clear, Discovering Your Life's Direction and Purpose. I really recommend this book because it's she compiled different perspectives from different folks about purpose or finding your purpose or finding multiple purpose throughout your life. As you said, after you achieve something that you believed was your purpose, you revolve and create new purpose in your life. So I, it's an easy, easy book to, to read and I really recommend because it had a very high impact in my life what was it called again andressa it is called the path 
made clear. Discovering your life's direction and purpose. Oprah Winfrey. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes. We'll put yes. that in the show notes, yeah. Awesome. I'm going to uh, look that up too. That yeah. sounds really good. Kavita, thank you so much for, for all your great wisdom here. The women listening, you know, are probably super, just super appreciative as well because you have such a wealth of knowledge. Where can they learn more about you and all the really neat things you're up to? Sure. Um, I host, um, I'm in a Facebook group that's called Purely Passive Investor Group, where I educate people on passive investing and what that means, whether it's apartments, I invite other people to come talk about assisted living and a whole bunch of uh, different investments that passive investors can take advantage of. Um, I also have a company that I started called Cherry Street Investments. Uh, that, that again has a story behind it. I lived on Cherry Street when I first came into this country as an immigrant uh, in an apartment as a student. So when I got into apartments, I had to, you know, borrow off of my past. And I thought this was a good in, um, name for denoting my journey from being a student with $3,000 in my pocket to... <laughs> Mm-hmm. being an apartment investor. Uh, so I, I run Cherry Street Investments and also um, have something uh, as far as passive investors. I, um, I do give out uh, some due diligence checklists that I put together. So I'm happy if you guys want to download it, it's on my website and I'll share the links with you. Awesome. And all of this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. Are you ready, Kavita? Okay. (laughs) All right. The number one is, what's the most transformational book you have ever read? This is going to be a tough one. I have so many books I like. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, because it changed my perspective um, on what it means to be an investor and why I should be working towards that. So, yeah. Awesome. The second question is, what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life? Um, I think mindset is everything for me. Um, When I think abundantly and I know that I don't have to worry about money, it comes. I truly believe that anything in life that you feel abundance around comes to you. That's amen to that. And the last question is, which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Uh, I think I look up to a lot of women in the apartment industry that I work with on a day-to-day basis. Um, Elisa Zhang, a couple of Jaskar, a lot of people who are just really go-getters and look at them and go like, I want to be more like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from a, a perspective of a celebrity, I think I really admire Michelle Obama. She just carries herself with so much grace and at same time, such a powerhouse, right? Yeah. Knowledge and beauty and grace all combined together. So yeah, she's probably, I'd probably fangirl if I ever see her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kavita, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you spending time with us and sharing your wisdom and your story with the, with the uh, women listening. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Liz. And thank you, Andresa. Thank and- you. It was a pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, 
go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community, and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.